So let's dive in to the message here today. And if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of James. And I'll tell you a little story here as we get going. Um, Have you ever, ever uh, gotten a gift or given a gift where where you just, you know, it came in this bags or it came in this box and, and then there was this little, little booklet that came along with it. And sometimes those little booklets are written in like seven or 10 or 12 different languages. And you just grab the little booklet, you know, the instructional guide. Have you ever just taken that and just chucked it? Has anyone? I expect every man to raise your hands. Let's just be honest here, okay? Right? I do that all the time. Uh, my sons love Legos. And so we get the set, and oftentimes, well, Legos are a little bit different, but we, we try to skip out on the directions as much as we possibly can, because we know how to get this thing together. And there have been a number of other things, although Oliver got a little remote control car at one point, and that thing was a bear. I think it took us two days to get that, no, it was a remote controlled lizard. And it took us two days to get that beast together, because I didn't follow the instructions, and uh, we had to pull it apart and put it back together. But two weeks ago, I learned something invaluable. I, uh, a couple years ago, I bought a smart bike. I like to ride my bicycle. And I've been trying to think of how to keep this summer body all winter long. So uh, that wasn't a joke. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, but I bought this smart bike so I could keep riding my bicycle all winter long. And it's pretty simple. Like, I don't need instructions. And this thing came with a book. I mean, it was bound. And I took that book, and I'm like, how ridiculous. And I put it up in a closet. And I, I just like, I mean, it's got a flywheel in the front. It's got these legs in the back. Piece of cake. And really, the putting it together wasn't that difficult. But there's also an electronic part of a smart bike. So you can connect it with the program that you're running online. And so that was also in the instructional guide. And I had put that neatly in the closet. And uh, I came to... Um, set it up on my program so it gives me resistance and keeps track of how far I'm going and all the things. And it it would always show up in three different Bluetooth uh, things. And I'm like, why three? You know, when you're trying to like pair your headphones to your computer and you have to look for the right Bluetooth, it's just like that with a bike. And my bike would come up in three different Bluetooth things. I don't even know what they're called. And I could never figure out like, is it 120588 or 12021 or the 0058. Like, what are these numbers? And so I would just randomly pick. And I did that for three years. <laughs> I did that for three years. Now, I do know after doing it for three years, because I'm not a total fool, that 020588, that one doesn't work as good. It only shows half your power, okay? So I knew that I needed the 12021 to go in. And two weeks ago, I was hooking up to a different program online, and I realized, I'm tired of this. I am tired of guessing, and I cannot get it to work. And I was having computer issues before I was having bike issues. And so I Googled the instructions. And folks, I learned so much. It was unbelievable. And it's always funny when you get to the instructions, they start out with like, hey, plug it in. And you're like... Who is at that level? Like, plug it in? Okay, I'm past that. I've got computer issues here, and I've got sensor issues, okay? And there's a sensor in each of my pedals, and I took the batteries out of the sensors, and I threw them away, and I put new batteries in the sensors, couldn't get it to connect. So I took the new batteries out, and I threw them in the trash, and I grabbed another set of batteries and put them in the sensors. 
And I still, you know, so then the sensor started working, kind of, and then I couldn't get the bike to connect. And I just wrestled with it for hours and hours. I'm kind of ashamed that I probably spent three hours wondering why, why won't these things connect? And so in the process of reading the instructions, I came to find out that there are numbers on the back side of the pedals. One of them is 12021, and the other one is 120588. And I only need to plug in 12021 because 12021 communicates with 120588. And then it sends it to the computer. Three winters. Three winters of not connecting it. And then I realized I hadn't, didn't have it plugged in. I didn't have it plugged in. Hours. Hours of my life wasted. When I had the instruction manual neatly in the closet, and I also had access to it via the World Wide Web. And I didn't take advantage of that. And I learned so much. And so a smart bike is one thing. Trying to keep up all winter long with some healthy practices is another thing. But is there another instruction manual that we are that we're ignoring? Perhaps we've kind of packaged it up and, and put it on a bookshelf someplace. So kind of someplace out of the way. Or perhaps we only check it out when things really hit the fan. Is there... Is there something that we're ignoring? Is there something that we're missing? And I think James takes us here today. And the question, you know, again, is that this doesn't have to do with a a bike. This doesn't have to do with a Lego set or some shelf that you're trying to put together. This has to do with life. There's an instruction manual given to us for life. It is the word of God. Are we following it or are we rejecting it? Are we following part of the instructions and not following other part of the instructions? And I'll have you know that with my smart bike, eventually I was able to kind of figure out and make it work. But a lot of the times when I got this smart bike to work, it was through a lot of stress and frustration. I would plug it in. I would get these options. I'd plug it in. That's key. First step, okay? And I would get these three options for Bluetooth. And after a while of trial and failure, I realized I need to go to 12021. That one just seems to work. And 0058, that one seems to work too. I knew to stay away from the 120588. That one was going to just sell me short. And if I did that, because I'd always forget it, I'd have to stop what I was doing. I'd have to exit the program and I'd have to delete the workout. Because it would screw up my stats. And... I was selective. I wasn't a fool. I kind of worked it out and kind of figured it out. But is there a way for us to know, perhaps, how to do life before having to figure it out? Before just having to wing it? Before having to face some of the consequences of our decisions? This is more important than bikes and TV instructions and Legos and shelves and stuff. So let's dive into the book of James, and I want to hear what he says to us about the text, about living and doing. And our text today starts in verse 22, but I'm going to start reading in verse 21. So join me in James chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness or humility the implanted word 
which is able to save your souls. Like, hear this implanted word and the implications of the implanted word. The implanted word is able to save your souls. So that's, that's bigger. That's bigger than a smart bike. That's bigger than a shelf. That's bigger than something that you just put together. This implanted word has something to do with your soul. That's why it's important. So then what do we do with the implanted word? But be doers of the word, this is verse 22, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. So let's think about who James is talking to in his letter. He's talking to the dispersion. If you go to those first couple of verses, James is talking to the dispersion, and they have been dispersed because of persecution that's happening in the church. So they've been moved from city to city. They've had to run from city to city because they don't want to face the trials and the persecution that is facing the brothers and sisters in Christ. And James is encouraging them. Like by saying, count it all joy, brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, because God's going to use those trials to build in you steadfastness. You know, like it's, it's a perspective change that James is telling the people. Like this dispersion, it's, it's not accidental. It's not accidental that you are where you're at. God, God's doing something. He loves you enough to walk you into some of these things to show you more of who he is, but that at some point in chapter one, James kind of changes pace a little bit here. He starts talking very practically. He doesn't just lay the theological groundwork for behaving the way we do. He starts telling us how to behave. So in James chapter one, verse 18, it says this, of his own will, of God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. There's that word again, the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creation. And for us as Christians, we live differently because of what's inside of us. It changes everything. It changes our perspective. Even when we as Christians come into trial, we know it isn't just a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, bad year, or maybe I've just had a bad life. We know that God is greater than that. That God, it puts an internal perspective on all our trials. That God is changing us from the inside out. And so we as Christians ought to live differently. And that's who I'm wanting to talk to today, okay? If you're visiting, I just, I'm super pumped you're here. But I, and I, you might be a believer, and that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But I want to talk to the believers in this room. And I want to challenge us as believers to consider how our life is different from the rest of the world, right? It's not that we just see this book of God and we're just trying to memorize it or we're just trying to, you know, it's a good book and just try to read it. Yay, reading. It's that we try to live differently because of the book, because of the instruction manual. The manufacturer, he gave us an instruction manual and he's encouraged us to live by it. He's even given us his spirit, the one who wrote the instruction manual, to help us understand the instruction manual. And the instruction manual helps us live for him, which is our, which is our purpose. So James talks about be doers of the word and not hearers or listeners or disciples, only deceiving yourself. So what does it mean to deceive yourself? Because deception doesn't often come across as a great thing. I was totally deceived. No one is like, you're doing it. That's awesome. I'm glad you're deceived. 
So what is he warning us about? What is the message there? Let's go to verse 23. James chapter 1, verse 23 says this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. Okay, look in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget, forgets what he's like. Like, who does that? I don't know why, but when I think about this text, I always think about those years in middle school, right? When you wake up and you're like, that is the biggest zit on the end of my nose I have ever seen in my life, right? And you stare in the mirror wondering, how am I going to survive this day when I walk before my peers who are full of all wisdom? (laughs) And how can I face them? I mean, there's a skier up top and he's going down the hill. You know, and you, you step out of the bathroom because mom is like, we have got to go. But then you're like, I just need to look at it one more time to see if it's shrunk in the last 0.03 seconds, right? But there's this picture of somebody like, James, are you trying to insult us? But there's this picture of somebody, you looking in a mirror, looking into the word of truth and walking away. And just walking away. And he compares it to this foolish person who looks into a mirror And just deceives himself. He's deceived. You're deceived when you look at the word of God, when you look into the truth, the implanted word of God, and you don't follow. You don't follow. There's no passion to obey what the word is calling you to. There's no sense. There's no purpose to obey what the word is calling you to. And really, it's it's interesting how this person, this illustration that James uses here, he looks intently. This isn't a passing over, like a passing by. You're walking through the mall, and you see a mirror, and you just keep walking. This is, I look intently at my face in the mirror, and then I walk away, and I totally forget what I'm like. Totally forget. I mean, it's not a hard text to really wrestle with, it, but it's concerning that that's the example that he uses. Because it seems so flippant, so easy to do. Someone who has the word but doesn't do the word is deceived. You're deceiving yourself. It's falling short. It's being twisted. That's concerning. Now, James, in the rest of his letter, goes through and gives detail of this example time and time again. I am not going to go to the rest of the book of James to give you those details because we're going to preach on it next week and the week after and the week after, and at some point we're going to take a little break, but then we're going to come back to it, okay? James gives examples to religious people. You think you're religious and you don't bridle your tongue? You're deceived. You have favorites? You favorite these people over those people? You're deceived. You have quarrels? You live in a quarrelsome home or you create quarrels? You're deceived. You tell somebody, hey, go and be warm, but you don't give them a jacket? You're deceived, okay? He goes through and he walks through those things as illustrations in the rest of the book. But I can't steal the next guy's thunder. So we're going to turn to the book of Mark. And I want to give another, I actually want to give you two examples of people who are deceived, okay? So we're leaving the book of James, and I want to illustrate this in the book of Mark and the book of John. So turn with me to Mark chapter 10. I believe these are the first uh, point of these texts are not necessarily deception. But I think you can see how somebody is deceived within these texts. So Mark chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 17. 
Your Bible titles this, The Rich Young Ruler, and it goes like this. And as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus was setting out on his journey. A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, this is kind of a rabbit trail, Why are you calling me good? There's only one person who's good. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And the guy says to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, Jesus loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. So this guy comes in, I think, really boldly to Jesus Christ. And he's like, hey, I want to follow you. Like I see your disciples. I see the ministry that you're doing. It's hopping. I want to follow you, Jesus. I want in. And Jesus confronts him, right, with the truth. And it's interesting. He quotes a lot of the Ten Commandments here. And the guy is excited about it. Like, I have done these things from my youth. And this is the point that I want to make. This guy knew biblical truth. This guy knew a lot of the Ten Commandments. And as a pastor, one of the things I hear very often is like, hey, man, I'm trying to follow the Ten Commandments. I think I do okay. Good. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that you have not murdered anybody. That's worth celebrating in this culture. Praise the Lord, maybe, that you have not committed adultery. That's, that's good. But there's this concern, like, are, are you applying all the commandments? And Jesus Christ, I think, doesn't, he intentionally doesn't mention the very first one. You shall have no other gods before you. So this guy comes up passionate about following Jesus, stating like, dude, I've followed these commandments. And Jesus pulls out the first commandment. You, you should have no other gods before you. And this guy seems like a hard worker. He has many possessions, we're going to learn. But Jesus knows his heart. Now, I would argue that you could probably look at your neighbor right now. If you're visiting, this is going to get weird. And you could probably say to them, grit your teeth, I will not murder anyone this week. And you, you could probably pull that off. You could really, by your own power to some degree, be like, I'm not going to kill anyone this week. Praise the Lord. That's good. I want, I want to celebrate that. Okay? Or you could make some other statement like, I, I am not going to defraud anyone this week. And you could try to muscle that out. And I think to some degree you could probably pull it off. But are you not murdering for the right reasons? I'm not trying to make light of murder here. But I want us to wrap our heads around what that is. Are you honoring other people as image bearers? That they have a purpose in life. Even if God is using that person to sanctify you. Even if God is using that person to challenge you with your patience. With your grace. It's not meaningless that you know them, but it's not purposeless that you do not murder. Are you satisfied with who God is enough, and have you experienced enough grace to give, extend grace to somebody that others might kill, quite literally? Or let's talk about adultery. Are you satisfied with the spouse that God gave you? 
It isn't just about don't commit adultery. The call there on the flip side is be satisfied in who God gave you. They are also there so that God can shape you and mold you and change you. Little selfish Matthew Morgan got a wake-up call after June 16, 2001. And you know what was revealed about me? This guy's selfish. He's lazy, and he just wants to do whatever he wants to do. And it began a sanctification process that is still in process as God continues to reveal through my spouse. Yet we live in a culture that says, I'm out. This is too hard. I didn't sign up for this. I wanted love and chocolate. I didn't, I didn't sign up for hardship. I didn't sign up to be patient with somebody who was so close to me. I didn't sign up. I'm out. I'm, I'm tired. I can't endure their sin. Do we not commit adultery for the right reasons? Do we not murder for the right reasons? When it comes to fraud or theft... Do you not steal because what you have is exactly what God provides for you in this season? Or do you just not do it for the sake of not doing it? Well, I don't want to tarnish my family name. I would hate to get caught with that snicker bar in my pocket. That would make my dad look bad. My grandpa, he would hate if I got caught. That's not a very good reason to not steal. The reason you have what you have is because God has given it to you. And the reason that you don't have is because God will provide for your needs. This Christianity, it transforms your life, even when it comes to defrauding the government. Is God going to provide for your needs? Or isn't he? Are you following the commandments for the right purpose? And this guy wasn't, because he wasn't, The law wasn't pushing him to Jesus. And so when he's with Jesus, practically, Jesus is right there, and the guy is right here, and he's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus cuts to the heart. Hey, sell all your stuff, give it to the poor. I don't think this is a statement about the poor. I think this is a statement about what God wants from you as a Christ follower. He wants your life, all of it, your physicalness, your possessions, Your children, God, wants your life. All of it. He wants your communication. He wants your sexuality. He wants your identity. He is God. I wonder how big our churches would be if we started off with this. Give all your money to the poor. All that you have saved up for the last 40 years. Release it. I'll take care of you. Give. I'll provide. And when God, when Jesus pushes the heart of this rich young ruler, let's look at verse 22, Mark 10, 22. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Praise God he was following these commandments. He knew them, and it seemed like he was practicing them. But his heart wasn't set on Christ. This is a picture of deception that I see in James Chapter 1, verse 22 is, he knew the word, and this is the concern for us as a church, as church people. He heard the word, he looked into the word, he didn't do the word. Or he did did parts of the word. 
You know, he listened to what he wanted to listen to. Like, oh, I love talking about murder. Because there's a decent chance I won't. I mean, that's pretty extreme to be a murderer. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm not a murderer. Are you a murderer? I can focus on that all day long. Pat myself on the back. Haven't done it. Woo! Give all your possessions to the poor. Sell them all. Oh, I, you, you don't know what I've gone through to get all the possessions. And Jesus points out, I want your heart. Notice in these tensions, right? There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with giftedness, right? But there's this tension, like where does your heart rest? And if you lose it all, will God provide for your needs? The question about selling your possessions isn't about your possessions and what it took you to get them. The question is, is if you lose everything or if you give everything away, would Jesus Christ take care of you? The rich young ruler revealed when it came to hearing other parts of the word that were equally true, he was like, Jesus, I'm out. I'm out. Let's go to John. Another picture of deception that is transformed. Now, the rich young ruler walks away when Jesus points out the truth. The rich young ruler says, see ya. I'm walking away. I'm not selling my stuff and giving it away. I've got too much. And I love this story in John 4. It's about a woman who comes to a well. Jesus is traveling. He's doing ministry. He's near Samaria. And the Samaritans had been kind of this leftover group of Jews. Back when Babylon hauled Israel off, the Samaritans were left. They were Israelites. They were Jewish. And during the years that Israel was away... These Jewish people had intermingled with the other people of the area. And when the Jews came back, they hated them. How dare you mix? What are you doing? Like, you are trash. You are less than. And so Jesus is near this place. And a Samaritan woman, a well, Jacob's well, comes to draw water. In verse 10, John 4, verse 10, uh, they're talking about water. And Jesus says, give me a drink. And she's like, what are you doing talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. You're a Jew, why what? What are you doing, okay? And Jesus says in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you a drink of living water. Verse 13, well, she recoils, like, what are you talking about? You don't have anything to draw with? That's impossible. And I think in John 3 and 4, Jesus is sharing, like, this is more than practical. This is spiritual, Okay, trying to show the people that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And she's thinking water, and he's thinking living water. And she's thinking of something to draw with, and he's thinking, like, I can make a spring within your soul. She's deceived. Okay, let's go on to see the, how this deception has grabbed her, even when she's in the face of truth. Jesus said to her, verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come draw water. Now, I've shared this story, I think, with you before, but there's probably a purpose that she's out there at noon drawing water. Because she doesn't want to be out there with the other ladies drawing water in the morning in the cool of the day. Why? Because they probably know a lot about her through the rumor mill. They know what this woman is like. They know who she, what she's done. They know all about it. And so she comes in the heat of the day to avoid the persecution, to avoid that. 
And so she very practically wants the living water. I do not want to come out here in the midday again. I do not want to carry heavy jugs of water back. I just want the water that's welling up inside me. And whenever Jesus gives himself to someone, he has to address this issue of sin in their life. And so Jesus Christ moves from this external water, practical, physical thing to her soul. And he's going to address something in her soul. In John 4, uh, in verse 16, it says this. Jesus said to her, yeah, go call your husband and come here. Have him come here. 17, the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. And you just get, like, I just think of this story. I read it a lot, and you're just like, awkward. You're just like, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Uh, You're a prophet. Uh, Our fathers told us that uh, we should worship on... You know, this mountain, but you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. Like, let's not talk about me for a minute here. Let's, let's just turn the, let's talk about you for a minute. You are a prophet. I don't want to talk about me. Like, Jesus is going to address the sin. Jesus is going to address the sin in her life. Because you see that she knows about the worship wars between the Samaritans and between the Jews. Okay, when the Samaritans moved to Samaria, they had started worshiping here. And when the Jews came back, they said, we've got to go to Jerusalem, to to Zion. And we need to worship there. And so she's like, while you're here, why don't you tell me the truth about where we are to worship? She knows about Father Jacob who dug the well. She knows her religious things. But there's a problem that Jesus addresses in her life. The hope that you have, the hope that Jacob had as he dug this well, and the one you're supposed to worship, whether it be on this mountain or that mountain, should change the way you do relationships. It's fun to talk about worship wars. It's fun to talk about theology. She even knew enough to perceive that this man was a prophet. This this man at the well was a prophet. And yet, she, her relational life was a wreck. She says in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. She knows that Messiah is coming. This seed of Eve that would come. And the whole Older Testament is set up around this protection of a seed that one day the Messiah is going to come. And that truth which she had been taught time and time and time again didn't give her enough hope or challenge her enough to stay out of these relationships. There was an issue here. They had all this truth and all this knowledge, but it didn't permeate this issue in her life. And rather than Jesus only celebrating what she knew, Jesus addresses the sin in her life. You know a lot of stuff. You know a lot of history. Praise God. You're concerned about worship. Praise God. Now you guys need to go to John 4 and you need to read it because I I skimmed it. Okay? Go there. Study the text. All right? The point of that message isn't the point I'm making here. We have somebody who knew a lot of biblical truth, who knew a lot of church history, who knew a lot about tensions, and he knew that the Messiah was coming. But she didn't apply that to life. 
And what's sad about most likely the other religious women who came in the morning is that they never addressed that with her in a loving, caring manner. They just gossiped. Let's just talk about her. Did you hear who she's with this week? Keep your husband away from him, her. She's marrying somebody else. They lived in such a way. These were religious people. These were the Jews. They had the hope of the world. They worshiped Yahweh. They had been carried off by Babylon and then returned by God. And yet they looked down on this Samaritan woman. They were also deceived. But this woman is deceived. She knows a whole bunch of truth, but she didn't apply the truth. She knew the worship war. She knew the history. She knew the Messiah was coming, but she was deceived. She had worked in this area, but wasn't working in this area. Now, I want to be careful, right? I'm not talking about perfectionism. We will be broken until the day where bodies are made new in the presence of Christ. Hallelujah. But are there areas in your life where you're working hard on? You're like, oh man, I'm, I'm working hard on my anxiety and my anxiety. But your lust is through the roof over here. Keep, fight to keep them in check. Or you're working and fighting lust. Fighting lust, but your anger is just going berserk. Where, where are you at? Are there things in your life where you're like, man, I'm following Jesus like crazy, but your kids don't listen to anything that you have to say ever? Or your coworkers, if your coworkers found out you were in church today, would they laugh? Can't believe he's here. Are you kidding me? That guy goes to church? A woman goes to church? What about your cell phone provider? The one you called, frustrated with, can't get through? Would they think, not that you have to necessarily share the gospel with them, but would they think that this person is a hope outside their cell phone plan? Let alone this world? Is the truth of the gospel permeating our life? Let's go to James. Back to James, right? So you see how these people were deceived. They had lots of truth, and they weren't doing it. Okay, we have, according to James 1.21, this implanted word, which is able to save our souls. So we ought to be doers of it, and not just hearers only, deceiving yourself. Coming to Veritas every week. I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear, I hear. I do, do, do you do do you, do you do a lot of Bible studies, but, but do you follow what the Word says in the Bible study? It's a challenge. It's a challenge to do, but it's not just meant to be stored in your brain. It's meant to be acted upon, lived out. James chapter 1, verse 25 says this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. There's this picture of the one who not only hears, but he, he does. He loves the law. In fact, it's called the law of liberty. And that's where I think a lot of us struggle is we don't, we don't know the law of liberty. We don't know the instructions. We take our smart bikes out and we walk to the backyard and we set them down and we expect to go miles on the trail. And it just stays in one spot. And we're angry. Frustrated. Why doesn't this bike roll down the street? Well, it's got a flywheel and legs. But it should. It should roll. And so we're with our life. We're angry and we're anxious. And we're caught up in lust and distractions of this world, and we're wondering, why isn't God doing anything? 
It's interesting when you call the manufacturer, there's an array of responses that you'll get. Maybe they'll be helpful, or maybe they'll ignore you. But we have a manufacturer who is described as a loving father. He wants us to lean in. His instruction guide isn't to paralyze. It isn't to persecute. It's for freedom. My smart bike is free when it's in my basement, attached to my computer. It's not meant to be on the trail. You are an image bearer of God. You're meant to glorify God, whether you're eating or drinking or whatever you're doing. You're meant to glorify God. You're meant to glorify him in your arguments with your spouse. You're meant to glorify him as you procrastinate. You're meant to glorify him as you work. Work is unto the Lord and not unto men. You exist to glorify him. So to ignore the instructions is to set yourself up for failure. To set yourselves up for the traps of this world or for the enemy. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And when you come to the Bible, some of you maybe come out of a church history where you're like, it's a bunch of laws and it's out to crush me. And it, and it is the opposite. It is to say, you know that bolt that you're struggling with? It goes in this way. It works this way. You know that Bluetooth thing? I put a sticker on the back of the pedal, and it'll work. Just type it in. It'll work. Though it might be a struggle if you embrace the identity that God gave you, if you embrace the neighbor that God gave you, it'll work. And when God calls you to something, do you think he's going to abandon you? One of the biggest discussions we have at Veritas Church with unmarried people is the fact that they want to act married when they're not married. And it's hard. But when God calls you to holiness and purity, do you think he's going to abandon you out there? If God calls you to give, even going back to your possessions, the one has to do with your intimacy and your personal intimacy, that example, and the one has to do with your possessions. If God calls you to give it all away, will he not take care of you? And as you lean into the law of liberty, you're going to find that he is God. He is sovereign. He is Lord of all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can provide for your needs according to his riches and glory as you obey him, as you pursue him. So we're called to church. We're called to lean into the scriptures to learn this, not to add another Bible study to your schedule, but to take the Bible study you might already be a part of and practice it. To practice what we come out of church with. To do it. I'm not just up here giving you a speech. It's a plea for brothers and sisters in Christ to follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Do what Jesus says. Act on the word that he's implanted in you. Act on the word that he's written out to us. Look into the word. Don't look into the word and forget who you are. Look into the word and find life and liberty in it. 
It doesn't just say this in James. You can go to Romans chapter 2. It says this, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Doing is a display that you trust who God is. When you love God enough to separate from somebody you feel like you love, that's trusting God. It's not always easy. When you love God enough to give him what in our culture is survival, our money, our stuff, that's, that's trust. It takes a big view of God to do that. And you learn a big view of God when you read his letter to you. John chapter 13, verse 17 says this, If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's joy and happiness in following the instruction manual. It connects you with the manufacturer. It connects you with Yahweh, the giver and the taker of life, the blesser, the restrictor, the grower. There's joy in being connected with him. And there's blessing in obedience. Not the short-term blessing of money or health. But there's a joy of growing in knowledge of who he is, even if you don't have health. Knowing that he can provide for your needs when you don't have much. That's where true joy is found. So here's the point that I want you to take from today. To persevere, be a hearer who does. Be a hearer who does. Spend time in the word and practice it. Don't study through the book of Romans one more time until you wrestle and practice it. Don't read the book of John another time and put away the truth that it reveals about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm not opposed to Bible study, but I'm opposed to Bible study that leaves your head full and your actions empty. And when the world calls us a bunch of hypocrites, for the most part, they nail us dead on. I am hypocritical. I love to read and study, and I fail to act. And I need brothers and sisters in Christ. I need community to challenge me in areas I don't want to follow the truth. I need somebody to call me out, much like Jesus called out the woman at the well. You've you've got the history You know the current worship issues that are going on, but there's this gaping hole in your life. It needs to be addressed. It's sinful and wicked. Folks, there's any parts of your life that you're not applying the truth of the gospel to. I mean, you made it to church today. Praise God. I want to celebrate those things, but is the truth of the gospel permeating your anxiety? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your anger? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your finances? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your exercise? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your eating? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your parenting? Is the truth of the gospel permeating your entertainment? Or are there parts that we don't touch? Jesus, I'm in the Bible study. I even do the connection group that the church forced me to do. But I'm going to watch these movies. And you, you don't touch them. You stay out of this closet. It's me and my TV. We have fun in here. That's sin. Or when you call your cell phone provider or your insurance agent 
or your car salesman or your other salesman or whatever, does the truth of the gospel permeate those conversations? How are we? The challenge is, I know that we're not perfect, right? And I want to ride that balance well. I want to, be, I want to graciously encourage you and empower you to lean into Christ and change your words. Be loving. Would the people around you say that you have hope outside this world? There's a lot of us who are fired up about Israel. But the truth of the gospel doesn't even permeate our own homes. Can the God who sovereignly takes care of Israel possibly embolden you to speak to your children about Jesus? Or is he just in Israel? Or our mental health, does the gospel and the word of God permeate our our issues with our mental health? Or is that just religion that we do on Sunday and in that Bible study? That can't be. That can't be, church. The challenge is, are we just listening but not doing? Are we ignoring like the woman at the well or the rich young ruler? The challenge is to not only listen and study, the challenge is to do what we've learned. So let's be a church that does what we've learned. And as we come to the end of the service, I think the question is, well, how do I do what I learned? Well, here's a perfect example of doing what we've learned in the Gospels, two of them in particular, Jesus says, this is my blood which was shed for you. And he talks about his body through a piece of bread. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so out of those verses, we get communion, a call to remember Jesus Christ until he comes again. And for us as a church, it's this reality that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were enemies of God. While I was an enemy of God, Christ died for me. And so we practically get up from our chairs. This is how we practice it. It's not the end-all, be-all. But we get up from our chairs and we, we stand up and we remember, Jesus, I remember what you did for me. Jesus, it's not that I just have to not murder or that I shouldn't commit adultery. It's that Christ has given me hope and a source so that I don't need to. He's wooing and drawing me close to him. And it's a brutal path. I need a savior. So the challenge for us as a church is confess our sin. Are there areas of our life that we don't give to God? Let's confess them. And let's come and partake in communion and celebrate that Christ wins, that Christ defeated sin. Let's pray. God, we are in awe of who you are. Father, and thankful, God, that hypocrites like us can be saved. Father, I pray that you would help by your spirit us to not only hear the word, but be doers of the word. God, that we would act. God, that we wouldn't hoard our wealth, that we wouldn't hoard our gifts and abilities, God, but that we would give them back to you. God, that we would grow in our knowledge of you and really find true freedom in Christ. God, that we would read the word and act upon it first in our own house, to our spouse, to our children, to our family, God, and then to our neighbor and our church and beyond. God, help us be a church that does.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.